Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. I'm your host, Matthew Hawkins, along with my guest host, Ed Carbajal. And on a weekly basis, we plan to bring you the biggest news and interviews in the world of combat sports. Ed, how you doing, my man? Good, just dealing with these allergies here in Jersey. Yeah, you and you and your East Coast uh, BS out there. You got to come to SoCal. This is uh, it's 85 and, and clear out. Um, but on the MMA side, uh, we're lucky to have with us tonight Bellator's lead Cutman, uh, Matt Marsden, uh, known as Cutman Matt on the MMACommunity.com, um, a friend of the show, and uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, welcome, Matt. Thanks. I mean, I don't know how lucky you are, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Um, you know, we have a lot of questions for you, and uh, you know, anybody who watched last week's show saw me in the uh, sweater of absolute glorious victory. Um, and uh, I noticed on uh, Twitter and some of the other social media that you actually got to work Fedor's Corner um, to get started off. What what was that like? Uh, you know, it, it was funny. I, I talked to my wife a little bit after because she, she asked the same question. And I said, he really did. First time ever intimidate me while I was out like I've had fighters that were trying to get in the moment when I'm greasing them up and you know they're just trying to get there and I'm the only person in front of them so they might stare me down or something like that but yeah, usually just whatever uh but Fedor looked me right in the eye I don't know why but like I got goosebumps and like they weren't like oh, I'm about to see something awesome goosebumps it was like absolute fear like I'm in the purge goosebumps you know <laughs> yeah. so, like first time that's ever happened uh, yeah. But no, it was cool because his corner was so excited when he won. And it's it was nice to me, I guess, to see that even after so many fights and so many years and all these people around him, that when he wins and he wins big, there's still that level of like true excitement, you know, that they all had. It was just as exciting, I think, as the first time he probably ever won for them. That's uh, It's funny you mentioned that because uh, when they did that first press conference in New York to announce that they were coming to have the event in New York, with all the fighters there, I think it was still kind of cold out at the garden when they did that at, at the at Chase Square inside of Madison Square Garden. I remember I was front row taking photos, and uh, he I was sitting in front of Fedor where I was sitting, and and I I was taking photos, and he just looked directly at me and locked eyes, and I was like I felt like I shouldn't be taking photos, so <laughs> right, yeah. intimidating. Yeah. locks eyes with you. I actually have yeah. a photo of the stare. I'll, I'll I'll I gotta find a way to post it. But uh, sh- share it with um, you guys. But yeah, it's it, it's a creepy look. I mean, it, and it's nothing. It's just him. It's just him with no expression. I actually got in trouble for walking around with no expression a couple of weeks ago. So I guess I guess people <laughs> people are looking for smiles or something. Not just uh, I don't know. I don't want to say he's dead inside, but it, it's just what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, there's no better description. It was just I looked him dead in the eye, and there was just it wasn't that I felt anything. It was that I didn't feel anything. You know, I didn't get any sense of anything off of him, and that was just weird. So, Does he talk to you at all, or is it is he just completely silent uh, throughout it? Uh, no, he doesn't really talk. Just what little bit he he has yeah. to. Um, I mean, he's friendly enough, you know, when he needs to be. But you know, Jerry Millen, his manager, he, you know, speaks for Fedor most of the time. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I don't go directly to him. I go to Jerry for most of it. So let me let me ask you. Uh, I mean, just because of the business you're in, a lot. I mean, I'm sure you get this question a lot. But uh, like, how long have you been doing it, and how does one get started in the business of being a cut man? Um, I've 
been doing it since uh, 2006. And I got my start because I was training. And I was also, uh, I had been a combat medic in the Army, and then I moved on to nursing as a civilian. And uh, I was training at St. Charles uh, MMA and BJJ. And they were putting on a charity show uh, called GIs versus Joes. And what it was, was uh, it was all amateur bouts. Half of the fighters, or all the opponents on one side, blue corner, let's say, were local amateur fighters. And all the fighters in the red corner were uh, Army combatives guys up from Fort Leonard Wood. So it was a nice, like, military-oriented charity show. And my coach said, have you ever been a cut man before? I need, I need a cut man, but I don't have any money. And I said, I, I've never done it, but I think I can figure it out. And, and that was just, it was just me saying, hey, you know, I'll figure it out. But uh, anytime anybody asks me how to get started, the most important thing, and I'm seeing less and less of this, is that you actually be connected to a gym in some way. Um, I'm not even saying necessarily that you have to train, because you can be, you know, maybe somebody older that's into the sport or whatever, but you need to be in the gym. You know, you need to be wrapping guys up before training. You need to be working their sparring sessions. Mm. You know, that's where the practice comes into play. It took me a solid three, four years to get good at wrapping hands. And a lot of people watch a few videos on YouTube and wrap their, you know, their buddy up in their living room, and then they'll hit me up for a job. So I don't, you know... What gym are you connected to? What coach can I talk to that's had some, you know, some of your hand wraps on some of their fighters or they themselves can vouch for you? You know, people think that the cage side work is the most important thing, but hand wraps, like that's what I judge other cut men by are their hand wraps, not what they can do cage side. Are the are the cut men, are, are they hired by the promotion? Are you an employee of Bellator or, or does the commission have a say in who the cut man is? I never really got, I never was clear on exactly how that worked. Uh, we're contractors contracted by the promotion. Uh, now, we are all licensed, and this actually came up not with us, luckily, with the other guys, uh, UFC, but they had a cutman that got into it with a commissioner, and then they realized that the UFC had forgotten to license all of their cutmen, hmm. so therefore the commissioner had no, no recourse to deal with that cutman, but... Uh, the way it should be, all cut men are licensed by the commission as a second. So just like any coach would be for a fighter. And then that way, if the cut man uh, on behalf of the promotion does do something shady or wrong or just get in the face of the commissioner, they can be reprimanded in any way that a coach could. Can a fighter request you or is it is it completely set up by the promotion generally? Uh, a fighter can request hand wraps. Uh, that's perfectly fine. And I, I have no problem with that because it's very much a like just a a feel and it's a very important part of the fight but one thing that i i don't uh honor i guess i would say is a request for the corner uh mainly because uh you do have cut men in the industry uh, none that i've hired but there are cut men in the industry that will kind of cut throat each other and backstab each other a little bit and say hey make sure you request me so i get tv time for my sponsors or something like that and wow. then on the other hand, you ha we always go back to Phil Nurse and GSP and the greasing incident. And, uh, you know, if there's a, a fighter that's requesting a specific cut man for a corner, I mean, I don't know that money didn't exchange hands. I don't know if they're old buddies on the block or if they trained together for 10 years before. So just because I've hired ex-cut man for the promotion doesn't mean that he might not still feel inclined to help his buddy out in a Phil Nurse type way. So I, I always... In the case of the corner where there could be greasing or, or something like that going on, uh, if there's a request for a specific cut, man, I'm actually more likely to deny that than to allow that. 
Well, that makes sense. It keeps any kind of uh, conflict of interest, like you said, uh, out of the mix. Um, you get back to, uh, you know, we're going to kind of jump back to what you were talking about when you were, when you were talking about Fedor there for a minute, and you talked about the sense of relief. Um, do you have a chance to be around Scott Coker at all? I, I, I know that, you know, since Coker signed Fedor, that was his first win since the Brett Rogers fight in Strikeforce in uh, November of 2009. Um, so he had actually, I think it was five or six fights in a row now that, you know, it didn't end well. And obviously he's putting money into, into Fedor. Have, do you get a sense from him that it, it's, you know, obviously he, I don't think he goes into the fight necessarily rooting for somebody, um, at least not, not outwardly. Um, but did you get any kind of sense of relief from him that, you know, kind of his investment may have actually kind of paid off? If, if I were to say that I got relief from Scott and I don't ha- you know, we see each other sometimes we have dinner every once in a while, but we're not texting each other daily i'm not trying to give that idea but uh i would say that he had relief that it was a good fight that it was a fight that people were talking about um he's just a fan i mean you have to remember like all of scott's business decisions i think come from him being a fan first yeah and what he thinks that he would want to see if he were sitting at home on his couch what would he want to see and while you know in his heart he may be a big fan of fedor what he's a fan of even more than that is just really good fights. And I think that that's what we got. I mean, everybody was talking about it. It was, you know, it was a great kind of comeback because, you know, he got caught early. And then when he landed that hip toss on Mir, it was like the whole crowd just exploded because, wow, it was this classic Fedor move. And I think that's what really made Scott happy was we got him like a classic level fight, almost like a pride fight, really, with the way that they just came out like barn blazing, you know, at each other. It reminded me of back in the day. I know I, I had a friend, uh, my friend Yuri, uh, you've actually met before. Um, he was at the event out there in Chicago, and he talked about how electric the crowd was. In, in your travels for Bellator, obviously you've done some smaller Indian reservation shows um, in Oklahoma, and uh, I think you even had one maybe in Boise one time, but or in uh, Idaho. But um, what what cities do you think really uh, – have you noticed a difference in any cities from the bigger cities that you've gone to where the crowd really – really is into it or maybe a more knowledgeable fan base or anything like that. I'm always surprised at the insanity that is in the arena at the Tel Aviv show. You know, we've gone there twice now. It sells out, sells out like ahead of time. The crowd is insane at the Tel Aviv shows. And you wouldn't think of Tel Aviv as being that big of a fight town, like MMA. You don't think of, I mean, I mean, what, we don't have a ton of fighters from Israel or even representing Israel. You know, we have several now, thanks to Bellator, but before that, mm-hmm. how many were there? So it's just surprising to me how into it the Israelis are, into MMA. Uh, but as far as domestically, uh, Chicago always, always pops. Um, I find that when we have down cities, it's cities that have a lot of other stuff to do. They're kind of like, we need to impress them and we need to bring something bigger to the table. We can't just bring the standard show and impress an LA crowd, for instance. Mm. So, you know, Chicago though, they appreciate a good fight up in Chicago and, and, you know, I'll go ahead and say because of the Illinois athletic commission being as awful as they are, Chicago (laughs) doesn't get a lot of MMA the way that they should, you know, there should be a lot of big shows. It should be us and the UFC and EFL and ACB, uh, all those people going there regularly. The commission is just such a horrible thing to deal with there uh, that nobody wants to go. And so that's why you end up seeing us a lot of times in St. Louis or crossing the line in Indiana if we can. 
I'm pretty sure I've seen you at uh you've 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 done uh you've worked events at Mohegan Sun too, right? Yes. I uh, feel like yeah. Yeah, they have a good crowd. I feel like that crowd is always pretty uh knowledgeable of the sport and 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 uh even though sometimes they they, they might get a little rough cuz it's it's inside a casino, you expect that. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah that's but okay. that's MMA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz the last time they were up this way, I worked that event and uh and I'm pretty sure I've seen you. I feel like I have seen you uh, when I'm when I'm in media row. Walk past me. So I always say uh, uh, Stitch Duran always says hi. Um, but uh, the last event that uh, that's probably the most um, what's the word I'm looking for judgmental they were of uh, the outcomes of the fight. Uh, that was the one with Matt Mitrione and um, Roy um, Nelson. Yeah, and, yeah, and then Hardy uh, on that too. Disagreed with that myself, but. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen a, a fourth round on that one. That was yeah. what I was hoping for. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't mind it. Sorry if I just streamed into the mic there. I, I don't right. mind it when the crowd is judgmental of the judges' decisions. Like it doesn't bother me one bit uh, because they have better views than I do. They they they're seeing it on TV from seventeen different angles. You know, they've they've heard and seen yeah. things that I didn't, and and it's the the crowd is the same. They have all the screens to work with. You know what I mean? They're they're not being swayed, I guess, by the yeah. the coaches in the corner the way that I am. I mean, trust me, that happens. There'll be times I think that somebody's kicking ass, and then when I go back and watch, I'd be like, "Man, was I swayed by those coaches?" <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because people think that uh, cage side is like the best place to watch it, but uh, you don't have the best angle, like you said. I mean, I shot photo cage side once, and and uh, I had to watch that whole event. <laughs> after the fact to get to do a, to do a proper pieces on, on post-fight analysis and right. things like that. So, yeah, I think Joe Rogan said that once the best seat is actually in your house. And if I can, like I'll position my seat next to a, a judge or timekeeper, somebody that might have a monitor in front of them so that I can look <laughs> over and see the monitor too. It's easier for me. Yeah. I've even had my wife text me. Like I'll text my wife at home. Like, is he cut? Is it over his right eye? I can't <laughs> tell. You know, from where that's I'm funny. At. But I think it is. You know, it should be like, oh yeah, you know, or no, it's his, it's under his right eye. You know, I can see it better on TV. So yeah, definitely at home or in the crowd watching the streams, much better view than around cage side. So how many? How many? Just out of curiosity, how many uh, cut men usually work an event? Obviously, it's not just you. It's it's usually you and another guy, or you you and a few. Uh, it's typically five of us. Uh, the average crew is five. Uh, it's myself, uh, Dean Lasseter, and Stitch are the, the primary three. Um, I do all the international shows as well. Uh, Stitch and Dean work all of the uh, domestic shows with me. And then I'll typically hire at least two, if not three more, depending on the size of the show. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depends on where we're going and if I know ahead of time how many rap requests we're going to have and, and things like that. But that is one benefit of my job is I get to see the cards a little bit ahead of time so I can get my staffing up to par. Do you, do you get paid per the event or do you get paid for the fights, the amount of fights you work in a night? Is, is it, you know, how does that work? It's, uh, it's per the event. Uh, for all cutmen, it's per the event. Uh, but with boxing cutmen, it's per the fighter. Hmm. So when I'm working boxing, I'll either negotiate a flat fee with that boxer for that fight or take a percentage of the purse, which is, you know, it can be anywhere from like 1% to 5% depending uh, whereas with MMA, it's just a flat fee for the entire night, and that includes wrapping and any cage side work. So it makes no difference. Like this, uh, this Saturday's Bellator event right now, I'm seeing 19 fights 19. listed. Yeah, Oof, 
Nice. Yeah, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't make any more for 19 than I do for 12. Mm. Interesting. So, but that kind of evens out sometimes, you know, because every once in a while I'll pull a card over in, you know, England where we're only doing like maybe like five or six, you know, in conjunction with a Bama card, and then it works out and I have an easy night. So. Does Bama, ha- Bama has their own cut men then because they're considered a separate promotion that night? They do, but it just so happens that I use a lot of, uh, so I have a, you know, my, my, uh, domestic crew, which is like Dean and Stitch, but I have the same thing internationally. I have an international crew and uh, a lot of them also work for Bama. So I just pick them up like, oh, okay, who's working the Bama show? All right. That's who I'll use as well. So we just kind of share, but they, I do pay them separately. So they get to double down on the night. You mentioned also working for ACB. I, I Is that who you uh, did a show in Brazil with recently? I think I saw that you were going down there. So I was. Funny story about that. Uh, I get to the airport, and uh, the guy at the desk that go down to Brazil, he like he looks through my passport, and he flips through it, and he gives me this dirty look, right? And he starts over. He flips through the passport. I get that look again. I'm like, what the hell is going on with my passport? I have a lot of international travel, but this is crazy. He flips through it again, but this time he like pinches each page as he's going through like he's and i was like what are you looking for just tell me you're obviously putting on a show at this point in time and he goes where's your visa and i was like visa i'm just going for the weekend you know just i'll I'll actually be there less than 24 hours and he goes yeah i know you need a visa you need to apply for it five days ago in miami and i was like really i america (laughs) needs a. I know that's so like american to do but i was like america (laughs) needs a visa just to go to brazil for the weekend (laughs) <laughs> and he goes, yeah. So I call up, uh, I contact an ACB who's an English uh, guy, and he's like, you know, nobody else needed one. He's like, none of the UK guys, none of the Russia guys, nobody else but you, the one American, wow. needed a visa. So you fell through the cracks because <laughs> we didn't think anybody needed one. So I, uh, I was just like, well, uh, good luck on the show. <laughs> I guess you're gonna be short one person because I can't get to Brazil. You know, and, uh, I was actually. I was happy it happened here and not in Brazil because I've had oh, yeah. it happen trying to get into Canada with Bellator uh, under the, the Bjorn uh, reign, and uh, it turned into a like a 12-hour fiasco at the Canadian border. So at least I just got sent home from the airport here. Oh, yeah, that's better. Hey, um, just uh, you know what's funny? You mentioned how important rapping is. Shouldn't they call you rap men instead of cut men then? If rapping, oh. you'd probably rap... <laughs> <laughs> is that like is that, right with that. <laughs> rappers I mean, I mean i don't know i just feel like that you mentioned it several times so i'm like i mean you know, a long time ago it's funny you kind of mentioned that a long time ago i tried to start a hashtag i don't know if, like do the kids still do that do they still start the hashtag these days yeah but, uh and it was cut life it was just like yeah this is me traveling around doing cut man things it was cut life and I looked and I realized that what I had been doing was hashtagging all of my stuff with what it apparently is uh, for like barbers and hairstylists. Huh? <laughs> so like all of my stuff from Bites was like showing up in all these like Instagram and Twitter feeds of all these barbers and, and salon hairdressers and everything. And I was like, no wonder I wasn't getting any traction with that. Because <laughs> they're like, what the hell is this doing in my feed? <laughs> well, you know what you should yeah. do? You should have like, because you, you said you have your crew, so... If all your crew uses social media, have them use the hashtag rappers like WRAP rappers and see if that catches on. It might. I'll see if we can do it. Just get a lot of hand wrapping pics and put them out there. Yeah. (laughs) 
Did you who did you rap uh, John Jones when uh when uh, he was in uh, Connecticut? The Twitter John Jones, not not Johnny Bones Jones. Oh yeah. <laughs> you wrapped yeah, him? Yeah, we, uh, we wrapped him up. Yeah. Oh yeah, cool. It was a good time, man. He was having just the best time. That was that was fun to see for him. Yeah, I'm actually like, trying to get him on this podcast because uh I, I talked to him. He you know, he's on this side of the country, so um Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's a he's a really good guy. And he had big hands. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. Like he had much larger hands than I expected. I sat down and I was like, Whoa shit, okay, like You've, uh, I, like this pad is not big enough. I was not expecting this. You know? <laughs> so, don't go hit anybody with this because it's not going to be as good as it should be. But yeah, he had a he had a good time. He, he brought a friend of his, and they were taking yeah. pictures and just having a good time meeting everybody. But yeah, yeah, yeah he's he he fell into MMA. He's he's actually a really nice guy too. Handle he handles all that the misdirected hate very well. Oh, very well. I mean, that was how I found him. Uh, was just just laughing at him. You know what I mean? Like, or I guess laughing with him. Uh, at all the the people just confusing him for John Jones, and then we just started talking via DM. And uh, then uh, Ryan Grab, our head of PR, came up to me and he goes, "Do you, do you know John Jones?" And I was like, "Which which one?" You know, he's like, you, had to, you had to ask which one. And he's like, "Twitter John Jones, the video game programmer." And I was like, "Actually, I do." And he goes, "Yeah." He said, "Okay." He's like, "Do you want to wrap his hands for a thing?" And I was like. Yeah, I was like, is he drunk? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I definitely do now. I was like, as long as he's been <laughs> drinking, because you know, it'll be even more fun. But well, he, I, I he, have him there. yeah, he's been, you know, he has the name John Jones. He's been getting special treatment on some of the events lately. You know, I've been to about 200 plus events. I think I got comped once. I'm waiting for a Matt Hawkins <laughs> to become famous. <laughs> <laughs> once that happens, I'll be, uh, I'll be happy to go to much more shows. But, um, so getting back to ACB real quick, just because I'm curious about it. Um, what events have, have you worked? Uh, have you officially done any of their shows then? Or was that one? Well, we're, that, trying, that... we're trying to get started. I have uh, I have events booked in the future uh, in Chicago and Las Vegas. And I believe Bermuda. I don't know if that's out yet. I don't know how much trouble. I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to know any of that. I uh, saw that they I were supposed to have a U.S. show in September. I think it was, but it didn't It didn't have a location listed. So nice. uh, I'm not going to say yeah, whatever. So just those, those places <laughs> I mentioned sometime in the future. But uh, yeah, ACP's making a nice push. And uh, I was stoked to see their jiu-jitsu tournament, actually. I watched that. Uh, what was that? Today is it today? Tuesday? So I watched that. Was it Sunday or Monday? They had their jiu-jitsu it was like Sunday, yeah. They ran live on YouTube. And that was really cool to see that they kind of did it like an MMA card where it was an attorney that, you know, just matches in a row. So, yeah, I went to their... Sh- you know, I went to the... They're doing it again. Yeah, they they put. I mean, they put on a, a show for the fans. There's not a lot of, uh, yeah. there's you know, there's not a lot of uh, extra stuff going on. You know, there's no ring girls, which I'm not a big fan of. But um, I went to their show that they had in. Uh, they had one in Southern California. Um, uh, Tiago Alves fought, um, and it, you know, it was like twenty something fights, just no time in between, and they just kept it going through. And uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I know that they had some issues with with some other stuff when they tried to have a show here. But um, I'm curious, you know, I, I just, the more shows, obviously the better. And, you know, I, when you watch them, I like, you know, they got Frank Mir does their uh, play-by-play online and um, it's pretty much nonstop action. They're definitely one of the more exciting uh, promotions that I, that I get a chance to watch. Yeah. And uh, like I said, they treat everyone really well as well. I'm not going to lie. You know, one of the reasons that I was willing to even talk to them was because I had heard from people working for them already that, you know, everything was good to go there. Because there, there are some promotions that, 
you know, kind of leaks through the industry not to go work for. <laughs> and, you know, ACB luckily did not have that. It was the exact opposite. So when the opportunity came up, I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. Why not? And, you know, I, I asked Bellator, but they've always been, you know, Scott and like Rich and those guys have always been very much, we're not here to hold you back. Go get, you know, go get sponsors, go work other shows, go do, you know, one of our cut men is uh, working with Stitch on the new uh, uh, Creed 2 or, or whatever, you know, like, it, you know, Bellator has always been encouraging of all of us to go out, just get that money. <laughs> Basically, just go out and do what you got to do, get that money. That's so, cool. I've, I've talked to, I, I talked to a, uh, a UFC employee. I'm not going to say who it was, but um, cutthroat over there. they, uh, yeah, they, you know, <laughs> I, I was talking to him and, and uh, mentioning, you know, I, I mentioned, they asked me if I was coming to a, a, one of their events and I explained that I had some tickets for some Bellator shows actually. And, and the guy just looks at me and goes, Hey, if, uh, if Dana wasn't on my ass so much, I'd be there watching it with you guys. You know, he goes, I mean, they, it's like you say, it's cutthroat them. So it's nice to hear Scott's kind of, takes a different angle to it. Like you said, maybe it's, you know, I'm not saying Dana White's not a fan, but um, Scott Coker is definitely a, a, a fan's promoter, um, at, at least as well, much as he can be. You can be a fan and still have higher priorities. You know what I mean? Like, you can be a fan and still prioritize money yeah. you know, over, you know, being a fan. And I think Scott's just kind of the opposite. And I think he prioritizes being a fan. You know, and he's an old school fan, too. If you even look at our merch, you know, it's taken definitely like an old school turn kind of with like the fight poster type graphic layouts and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's very much like Scott's touch on those kind of things. No, I, I tell people that too. And I, I've, uh, you know, I took some fans that were longtime uh, MMA fans to, uh, to the event in, uh, in New York. Um, some people that lived out there locally that I, I had met through the MMA community. And uh, when they got there, I kind of told them, and I tell people this today, you know, I, I love going to UFC event. There's it's top from, I mean, top promotion, great, great event to go to but if you want to go have a fun time at an event and have kind of that old school feel to me it's the florida bellator event you know uh, the amount of fighters that are walking around it it reminds me of the old king of the cage days or some of the old smaller indian reservation shows where guys are so accessible and uh it it just to me it's more of a, a real friendly kind of atmosphere um you know, maybe it's, you know, you don't have the ushers breathing down your neck necessarily like you do at a UFC event. It's just a little bit more of a loose, loose atmosphere. And, um, yeah. You know, that's why I, I tell everybody. I that that's by design, you know, I, that, uh, I mean, you can come right up to the bike racks as a fan and get really close to where the fighters are walking in and out. I, it actually kind of reminds me of a WWE house show. Okay. You've been to one of those, like with how uh-huh. accessible, like on those house shows. The, the wrestlers are so much more accessible and willing to like take a second, even though they're not on camera, and be out of character a little bit. And I've always felt that way about our shows. Like they feel like that. Where, I mean, the fighters are going to be out there. They're going to be walking around. If you if you're if you try even the slightest little bit, you'll get to meet probably whoever it was that you wanted to meet at one of our shows. No, and exactly. Like, yeah, worst case scenario, you just get in touch with somebody wearing a badge and say, "I'd like to meet so and so," and that's probably going to make it happen. You know, because the fighters want to meet fans as much as the fans want to yeah. meet them. You know, they're just stoked to be there. There's no doubt about that. You know, even the ones that have been doing this a long time, like Henzo Gracie. You know, Henzo Gracie should be sick of this by now. Sick of it. He's not sick of it at all. He loves it. He loves every <laughs> no, he loves it. it. Yeah. You know, and you know, and that's that's what I like to see. And I think that that's sometimes, you know, we get the you know, why'd you make that fight? Because it's fun. 
there's no other reason to make some of the fights that we make other than they're just fun and they're just a fight that if you want to be a hardcore fan and you want to be a statistical like jerk about it yeah yeah okay it doesn't maybe make much sense on paper but you know what we're all gonna watch it because it's gonna be really really yeah fun. it's funny you're saying that because it's it's uh you're kind of alluding we had angelo reyes on a couple of weeks back uh frank mears striking coach and he's he kind of hinted at uh commented on like uh the, that how MMA fans seem to have this weird, it's like it's cool to be mean to to the people that are producing content. You know, you're watching anyway. You know, it's it's a weird culture. That's one thing. I if I have to say it, if I had a gripe with my own my own sport, it, it would be that. Um, but um, anyway, I, I didn't mean to to elude from from what you were saying. What I wanted to ask you, you actually, oh go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna ask you. Uh, uh, because you said you were a combat medic, and that's how you got in. I was wondering if is there anything that you've seen that's as uh, like a, the worst injury in the cage that you've seen com- com- comparable to uh, anything from uh, the way you got into it? You know, uh, I saw worse stuff actually in the the ER as a civilian than I than I have in the cage, but not so much as a combat medic. I was I never you know got into that you know i was hospital based a lot of the time and then uh, i moved over from being a combat medic uh, in a hospital based unit uh there in st louis to a psychological operations unit mm-hmm. and so i spent a lot of my time there training soldiers up that were getting ready for deployment on uh, their combat lifesaver certifications uh but as a civilian in the er in st louis i saw plenty <laughs> uh quite a bit but you know i've had some pretty some pretty nasty stuff you know if you go back to I want to say it was Bellator 83 in, uh, wasn't Vancouver, it was Portland, Oregon, right there by Vancouver. Uh, Portland, Oregon, John Alessio uh, took a hard, hard knee from an on his way to a title, Will Brooks. And mm. that injury was bad enough that I have that framed enough in my house. Like, there's a picture of that injury up in my house because it was, oh. it was bad enough. Wow. Uh, but, you know, I've seen some some interesting stuff in the cage. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was in Atlantic City, even Bellator 60s or 70s, somewhere around in there. Uh, he had a fighter who uh, late kicked the other fighter, checked it, and he got the weirdest like arterial branch bleeding on his leg. Had no other marks on his leg, but had just had this really superficial arterial branch that just started splurting mm. like a Saw movie out of his leg. But tiny, like a little <laughs> squirt gun, you know, yeah. just <laughs> just squirting out. And he just, the fighter, of course, like looks down at his leg and it looks like a Kill Bill movie all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, from a check kick. And he starts freaking out. And we're sitting down and I was like, I, I know this looks bad, but I'm just going to put my finger here for a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go away. It's like spraying you in the face, but... It's not as bad as it seems, but you you do see some interesting stuff in there as far as injuries, just because. Uh, yeah. You know, I have to be honest. One thing that I'm always surprised that we don't see more often is dislocated shoulders. You see them from time to time, and we saw it with Chandler and Gertz just recently. Yeah. But even in the exact way that Gertz dislocated his shoulder, I'm surprised we don't see that very specific injury more often. Like that's the one that I always think is coming and never never quite uh materializes the way i think it will what about that freakish one that was at lfa last friday the guy's elbow the arm oh that was wild <laughs> that was wild. but you know that actually not 
to that extent, but EJ Brooks, uh, who was actually the whole reason I got into Bellator is EJ Brooks uh, back at Bellator 53. But uh, we were working a fight of his uh, back before he was signed to any pro organization, and he dislocated his elbow in a fight, and we put it back in in between rounds. Oh, wow. It was, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, it was just eh, nobody's looking and crank and it's back in. All right, let's move on. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. We didn't get caught. We're just going to move on. You know, that's kind of what uh, if you're if you're in the back, like Big John and the refs, they'll always tell you that, like, if you dislocate a toe and you want me to stop the fight, call attention to it. But if you want me to ignore it, you ignore it. You know, that's kind of what they always tell them. And it was kind of the same thing in between that round with EJ. He just, boop. Wow. We moved on with the third round. Well, in, uh, you know, in what, 199 events coming up this Saturday, Bellator's actually been pretty lucky from not having a, a pretty catastrophic looking injury. I, uh, the worst I've seen is I, I saw a guy suffer a severe uh, compound fracture to his leg um, at an, at a tough enough event in uh, Las Vegas. It's actually amateur. So to add insult, he didn't even get paid. And a guy yeah, shot, a guy no shot money. in, on, oh. shot in on his leg and uh, the bone, went the wrong direction and it was, it was, it was horrific. Um, I mean, the worst injury I've ever, I've seen. I mean, I, I was at Tim Sylvia when he got his arm broke against Mir and um, some of that stuff, that one wasn't, wasn't as, as violent uh, at least in the crowd, but um, I was actually front row for that one. And when a guy 15 feet away from you has a, his leg, sticking out of his I mean it, it was nasty but um were were you working the uh were you working the it was in uh, I believe it was in London but the uh the Cyborg uh, Santos Cyborg. fight yeah where he I took was. the knee to the head uh, was, from uh, MVP I was in MVP's corner for that one uh, Oh wow and so first of all I can tell you that whenever he landed that knee it sounded like a home run uh and I was in St. Louis whenever Maguire and Sosa were going at it, and it was home run derby all season. And I, it distinctly reminded me of a Mark Maguire home run in Bush Stadium. Uh, it was so loud. And then when I went over, uh, so I kind of MVP, you stay over here, let them all work. They obviously need room. And I kind of went over to check on the cutman over there, see if everything was okay. And I remember seeing Cyborg's head and thinking that this was a life-changing injury. Uh, it turned out not to be, but I I remember thinking he, he has brain damage. There's no way. It, mm. was, it was a perfect concave softball size, you know, in his forehead. It was just, I couldn't see any way that it hadn't affected yeah. the underlying tissues. And you know what? He had surgery, had the plates put on, and no worse for wear at all. I mean, what a tough guy. But that was that was the scariest moment I can remember. Uh, it was when that happened because I thought I had seen something extremely serious happen right in front of me. So what's uh? You guys are both going to be at Beltor One Ninety Nine this weekend, right? Matt, you said you're going, Matt. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I fly, I fly. Yeah, yeah. you I'm get in on Friday on. too. No, we're both Matt. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, I I fly in Friday morning as well. So I'll I'll be there for the event this weekend, which uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to. I haven't been to a big show in a couple months now. So you, you generally you guys get there the, the day the same day as weigh ins then right? Uh, cut, I'm gonna just call Cutman and Hawk. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the Cutman do yeah. Yeah. If it's a now for the international shows uh, because I do more on the operations side uh, for mm-hmm. Bellator, um, I get there a week ahead of time. So for London, I'll uh, that's a Friday show, but I'll be there the Saturday before, so a week ahead of time. 
So what do you when you go international, like for time difference, obviously you have to have your wits about you and stuff looking out for injuries and cuts and stuff like that. Like I know, I know like with fighters, we're talking to Fernando uh, last week or whatever it was. I talked to him last week. Um, He said he trains at the time. He already puts his mind in training camp at the time he's going to be fighting at. Like, so what do you do to, to acclimate yourself to the time change and stuff like that. Cause I know when I go to Vegas or out uh, from, it takes me a whole week to get used to that time. And it, by that time I'm usually coming back home and it messes me up here too. Um, I basically, I don't do too much. I've never had a big problem with jet lag. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as I get on the plane going internationally, I set my watch to whatever time it is where I'm going. And I start immediately changing my behaviors so I get on a plane and it would be 2 a.m. wherever I'm going. I go to sleep immediately. I usually take a little melatonin or, or something if I have to. Um, but I go to sleep immediately. And so that when I land, I'm as close to on as I can get. And then, uh, you know, my wife is a psychologist. That's what she does for a living. And she's always been helpful with me. Like every time something comes out for jet lag, like color therapy or food therapy, anything like that. She's always the first one in line. Like, here, try this. Here, try this. You know? uh, and then I know it sounds cheesy because everybody's talking about it right now, but I do find CBD to be really, really useful, uh, especially specifically for jet lag uh, because it just relaxes me a little bit and helps me get to sleep when I need to get to sleep without being as groggy as I get with melatonin. Uh, because melatonin is just something, it's, it's, uh, it's something you shouldn't take a lot of, just speaking yeah. to the nurse at this point in time. Like, it's also one of those drugs that people think taking more is better. It's actually the opposite. Once you get over about five milligrams of melatonin, it actually starts working in the opposite direction, keeping you awake. Uh, and then if you take it too many days in a row, you start to deplete that in your own body. So, you know, it's just something you wouldn't want to take very often. But with CBD, wherever I can get it, you know, I don't seem to have those problems. And it does help me sleep a little bit better. And I train a lot on the road as well. Uh, you know, we're always out there with hoist and a lot of good coaches and stuff like that. And uh, so, like, the season. You're a ju- you do jiu-jitsu? Yeah, do, I, I do jiu-jitsu now. It's kind of a latecomer to it because I got tired of getting punched in the face. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrestled in high school, but uh, I started off. Uh, my, my very first martial art was Taekwondo. I have a black belt in Taekwondo. Oh, cool. And then. Uh, from there, I moved on to Muay Thai, and I did Golden Gloves all through high school, like the regional championships in St. Louis, stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, did Judo, and that hurts a lot. I don't know if you guys do Judo, but Judo hurts a lot. You get oh, yeah. laying on your ass so often. And uh, I was like, I want to do Judo, but not fall. That's a good answer. Yeah. Here we are. That's the best <laughs> I way to do without slamming myself into the ground first <laughs> and we'll just start from our knees yeah. and i'm old and we'll go from there <laughs> so. oh yeah i'm trust me i know old all this stuff hurts the older you get no matter what you do so yeah, but, but um yeah, yeah I, I did a judo seminar once and uh, i knew that i was already too old for it when i did it i mean i do jujitsu i yeah it is it's a hard i mean you're pretty much you're just getting comfortable getting slammed all the time so but i do recommend yeah. Her son is 11, and she asked me what martial art I thought he should do first. And I told her judo. I was like, because he's at the age where he can take it. Yeah. It will get him used to 
not being afraid to get hit or move forward in situations. Yeah. I was like, it's a good first one because it gets a lot of the more painful crap out of the way. So, uh, but yeah, Jiu-Jitsu, you know, I'm down here with uh, with Nick Reconati and uh, Roberto Abreu here in Florida. So it's a, it's a good school. And uh, it's a little bit different from where I came from. The school I came from in St. Louis, which was the Hicks and Gracie School. So I like seeing the, the variance in the styles and how Jiu-Jitsu is growing now, too. Oh, you're in Florida. I thought you were on the West Coast. No, no, no. I'm in Leesburg, Florida, just north of Orlando. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was just, we just, who do, who do we have that from, uh, Ray was from, is from Florida too. Uh, Rhino, he's the Rhino in the MMA community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you guys should roll and together. Actually, uh, I've, I've talked to a few of the people from the MMA community uh, via DM uh, because there's a couple that just live uh, like a few towns over, you know, and we, we've talked and, and uh, just like, oh, hey, shit, yeah. You know, they were all so here close together. Because uh, I'll tell you, it was a big, like, I was, it puckered me up a little bit to, like, be myself on that message board and not like, oh, like yeah. uh, lurk or, you know, hide behind a screen name. Cause I'm on the other boards, you know, I, I read all the stuff, but yeah. uh, the MMA community is the only one where I come out and say, this is who I am. And I'm 100% shilling, you know, <laughs> for Bellator <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, so. no, it, I love it there. I mean, it's the only forum I go on. I, I used to go on uh, the sure dog forums back in the day, but it, it like uh, what we were just talking about a little while ago, the, the, the way people think it's so cool to be mean and, and just negative about stuff, it's a little off-putting. So that's why uh, the MMA community doesn't do that. That's why I like it. No, I've always felt very welcome there. Um, I, I need to post more often because every once in a while I think we get like new members on the board and then I'll post something and they'll be like, who's this guy? Why is he speaking like he knows what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, what you reminded me of, it was something I read that Matt Riddle had said today. I think I read it on Twitter uh, just before we came on. And they, somebody had asked him the difference between pro wrestling and MMA. And he said, you know, with pro wrestling, he's like the people are invested in it. And they have that character that they like and they want to see them do whatever it is that their character would do. Uh, whether that's win or lose, whether they're heel or baby face. He's like with MMA, he's like, it's really still just that just be crowd. He's like, I could be at my own hometown with my own fans in the crowd and if I get knocked out the crowd is still going to cheer and roar and be happy and excited that that happened he's like whereas with with uh, pro wrestling he said I don't feel that I feel like I'm so much more supported by the fans as myself and less is like just wanting to see me get hurt and, you know I actually took that to heart that was you know that was kind of a deep observation yeah that he put that together and you know he was right you know the MMA fan base can be can still be to this day and age just bleed you know hey come on sometimes i get that way too <laughs> so, yeah like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna absolve myself of any responsibility here i'm definitely that way uh but even even down here where i started training i specifically went to a school that was just jj and doesn't really do mma and i did it for that reason yeah, because it's actually just a bit of a nicer community to hang out with in an MMA gym sometimes. Yeah, you know? that seemed to happen when when MMA became really mainstream, though, because you know when I I started watching and attending events in the late '90s, and it wasn't like that. Um, 
you know, when, when you'd go to the events, I, I tell people that there was a time when someone would boo in the crowd that the crowd would basically turn on that, that, that fan. And it was a smaller, smaller shows. And even some of the earlier UFC events, you know, that, that I attended, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't like that. You know, you, you basically uh, cheered and applauded the fighter. Even if somebody went in there and got knocked out in 15 seconds, when that guy walked out of the ring, usually everybody kind of gave him a hand and, you know, they patted like him on Japanese the back. style. You know, it cut it kind of was like that. It, it, it was, it was different, it, you know, and I, I don't know when the switch actually happened. And, you know, I think it's just when it became fighter. probably yeah, pissing on somebody's yeah. bed made you famous, yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's when it happened. And that was also the failure though, vice versa of a uh, fight master. Not that anybody remembers that. So, I remember. I, I, I went. I went <laughs> but, to the final in L.A. Uh, the, or the, in Long Beach. But I remember. You know, we would have all these meetings because that was hell. That was Team Lasser and I, and that was absolute hell for us because that was when Bellator was in the twelve week in a row seasons, mm-hmm. and Fight Master I think was eight weeks. And so for two months straight, Dean Lasser and I were going from Fight Master filming to do all the fights and everything there because we were also working operations for Bellator, so we were keeping an eye on things. We were going straight from a show to, to New Orleans for Fight Master for the week, back to the show, wherever that was, back and forth to like places all over the country in New Orleans for eight weeks without seeing our families, without going home. Uh, and, you know, it, it was going to be worth it because we were going to show all the people how serious MMA can be. And it was gonna, yeah. like in our minds, and it's just so stupid in hindsight. Like I feel like <laughs> South Park was like Captain Hindsight. Like, duh. Uh, training <laughs> is boring as shit. Training is boring. Like, to watch training, yeah. like, maybe if it's your little three-year-old out there doing cute little judo throws, like, like training's okay. But to actually, it's not a Rocky montage. And that's what we convinced ourselves. We convinced <laughs> ourselves that we were going to put out 10 weeks of Rocky montages. And we put out 10 weeks of boring-ass, realistic training. And unfortunately, that does not move the needle because after the first one, you've literally seen it all. Like, yep, they're drilling arm bars again. They sure are. Because <laughs> that's, like, that's what it actually looks like. Yeah, uh, but in our minds, we just had this like really built up what it was gonna look like, be like, and people were gonna see just like what athletes they are, and uh, you know, and I think people did, and then realized, wow, being an athlete like is boring. Like, if there's any reason we should appreciate athlete athletes, it's it's their discipline and being able to do something so monotonous, and yeah. <laughs> day in and day out. You know, eating the same food and doing the same training schedule and not going out partying and doing all those things, you know, all the things that Instagram tells you are great about working out. You know, they really do do that. And unfortunately, it showed that in a way that, you know, did not sell. Even though it was honestly the best moment on that show did not make it onto that show. Mm. Um, if you remember the semifinals between Evan Cuts and Joe Riggs, uh, Joe Riggs beat the ever-loving heck out of Evan Cuts. But Evan Cuts wouldn't quit. If there was an actual Rocky moment on that show, it was Evan Cuts like, basically refusing to quit against Joe Riggs, no matter how brutal it got. So immediately after the show, we sent out Evan Cuts to the hospital. He had multiple orbit fractures, broken nose, everything. And uh, the ER doctor uh, there in New Orleans kind of jumped the gun, as a lot of uneducated doctors uh, do. Uh, you know, especially when you get some of the older doctors that still think MMA is like the John McCain cockfighting sort of thing. Uh, basically told Evan Cuts he was never going to fight again. Straight up told him, you never fight again. Never, never. 
Oh, wow. That was really just more his opinion. Evan Cuts has fought again since then. Yeah. But, you know, uh, doctors aren't above letting, you know, personal bias color their diagnoses. And uh, anyway, so Evan Cuts comes back to the house, and there was this kitchen where we all kind of hung out that wasn't on camera, but there was a guy with a camera in there, so I know it got caught. Uh, Evan Cuts locks through the door, and he just, like, stops. And Joe Riggs is in the room, as are several of us, and uh, he just starts he just breaks down in tears and he said they told me i'll never fight again and he just breaks down in tears in the doorway and well, of course joe riggs feeling responsible because joe riggs is really just a nice guy uh gets up and gives him a hug and starts apologizing profusely for what he believes is ending evan cut's career oh, and wow. we have this like completely real moment of evan cut's believing he's never going to fight again and the guy that did it to him apologizing and they're hugging you know, which to me shows that was to me that was martial arts. That was MMA. That's what yeah. we see that that we could do these things to each other, but it wasn't personal. It wasn't an emotional thing. Uh, we we fight. You know that it was. You know it, it was just business. Never made that. Never made it. Not even a peep of that. Wow. On the show. You know, and you're like, how? How could you have possibly left that out? It was the greatest moment of filming. You know, and it left on the cutting room floor. It's awful. Yeah, well, who knows how many more viewers that might have attracted to the to the final cuz he, you know, he fought I think he fought Mike Bronzulis at uh Bellator 106. You know, and and Joe Riggs ended up winning that and you know, who knows you know, that a scene like that gets viral these days and you never know how many more views or, or fans you might, you know, might get to that. Um you talk so adamant that they weren't going to show them as anything other than like machines almost. It was it's very weird. It was the same guy that uh did the amazing race. Uh, was the guy that directed and produced it. So we have, you know, I, I will say... Uh, is that Mark Burnett or Mike Burnett or something like that? No, yeah. he, uh, he, a Dutch name. I can't remember. My wife would kill me if she was Dutch. But it was, uh, he was a Dutch producer that had done The Amazing Race. And he was, uh, he was a great guy, but he just had this vision that didn't jive with what audiences in this demographic wanted to see. You know, there's probably uh, a middle ground between the ultimate fighter and what we did. We just, yeah. <laughs> we just missed the mark. So, you know, it happens. I'd love to see it again uh, because that was some of the, the best. I mean, uh, if you'll indulge another story, we were, uh, you know, there was the stage where all four coaches sat and like judged, you know, the fighters as they were sitting there. Yeah. Well, we were in this really nasty part of New Orleans where filming was very, very cheap. And we were in this warehouse, and within this warehouse, we had built that that stage, the cage, all of their dormers, and all of their hangers. Like these guys literally did not leave this one location that entire time. So it wasn't even like the Ultimate Fighter where they could go back and forth to the gym. Well, anyway, we're filming, we're filming, we're filming, and uh, we hear this train just like wailing on its whistle, just wailing, and it will not stop, and it's getting closer and closer and closer until it's literally right outside the warehouse, which isn't exactly insulated. And just holding on the horn. At that point in time, Frank Shamrock, eyes as big as saucer plates, jumps up out of his chair and runs outside. He had parked his car across the tracks uh, in this parking lot of this warehouse. So oh, wow. After hearing this train blaring on the, the whistle, uh, it's because they were about to hit Frank Shamrock's car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he's out there trying to move his car. And when he comes back in and he sits down and we all get reset, and it was the assistant director, I can't recall his name, goes, if anybody else has anything that they need to do during filming, would you please let a PA know and not do it yourself? 
<laughs> he wasn't mad that Frank had parked on the tracks and interrupted filming. He was mad that Frank didn't toss his keys to a PA so they could keep filming. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, oh, I was wow. like, man, TV's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we got, looks like about 10 more minutes here uh, in the show. And, uh, you know, I wanted, I want to get your uh, take. Uh, I'll let the fans know this Saturday night, Spellator 199, uh, live on the Paramount Network. Um, the main event is Ryan Bader, Muhammad versus uh, King Mo Lawal. And uh, we've talked about that fight several times over the last couple of weeks as the as the tournament's kind of unfolded. Um, the other fight that uh, really has my attention is, is Paul Daly and John Fitch. John Fitch makes his uh, debut in... Uh, in the uh, in Bellator after coming from a world series of fighting and obviously had his long run in the UFC uh, prior to that. Um, any fights that jump out as you, I, I know, uh, you know, you don't want to have any kind of conflict of interest as far as picking anything, but a- anything that excites you, I, I know Aaron Pico is always on the card. Yeah. Aaron Pico. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Pico is, is just crazy to me uh, with how, how much he improves every time. And it's how humble he is as well. I've never seen anybody just yeah. soak everything up. You know, every time I meet him, it's just more of like, what, what can I learn from you? Like, I'm shaking your hand. What can I learn from you? Uh, but I'm, I'm actually really interested in our main event. I, I know it sounds cheesy, but Bader is just such an oversized, and I never knew this. I never knew this till I met him. He's such an oversized tool fiver. He's big. He is so hmm. big compared to a lot of the yeah. individual fibers that I've dealt with. And I'm like, man. Uh, and so, and, and Mo is kind of an undersized tool fiber, to be honest. Here we are fighting at heavyweight. Uh, I'm, that fight, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I can't call it. That's, you know, every once in a while, the most interesting fight is the one where I can't predict an outcome. And, yeah. and I think for that one, it's me. Because in my mind, I'm thinking Vader's size. You know what I mean? But I'm also wondering how Vader fighting at heavyweight, which he's not normally used to, will that make him feel sluggish? Will that make him feel slow? Um, has he has his diet not been as clean to like you know be up where he needs to be? Uh, whereas we have Mo, who we know has had injuries uh, in the past and has kept him out for a little bit with his hip and his knee. And uh, you know, what's he going to weigh in? I guess I'm really curious what each of them is going to weigh in at. That's actually been a pretty big topic on the commu- MMA community. It got brought up in one of the threads. I think Muhammad or uh, King Mo, I keep saying Muhammad Lawal, but uh, King Mo, as most people man. know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But most people know him as King Mo. Um, I think he normally, I feel like when he fought in Sengoku and um, when he had his heavyweight fights earlier, it seemed like he was between like 210 and 220, um, somewhere in that range. I think where, where his, his catch weights with uh, Rampage, I think we're at 215, if I, if I remember yeah. right. Um, what do you think Bader will weigh in at? I would, I would, well, shoot. I mean, when you say he's big, I've met him before, but I never really, I mean, I've met Tito too, and Tito looks like he's like 250 I would pounds. Guess that, I would guess that Bader weighs in at least 230. Okay. Just just from the size of him, you know what I mean? Like, he's going to weigh in at least 230, whereas I would guess that Mo's going to weigh in around 220. 220. So we're talking at least a 10-pound size difference, but... Man, I don't like I said. I don't want to make a prediction, and I like it's hard for me now too because I've already done the assignment, so I know where I'm going to be. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's also, you know, I'm like in the back of my mind. I was like, don't say something, and then you know, uh, 
uh, that actually came up recently. Somebody said, oh, the line on this fight is really, really good. And I said, okay. And they're like, you want to put in on that? I was like, absolutely not. I'm working that fight. I was like, you want me to Pete Rose this <laughs> shit? Come on. Like, I can't do that. You know? I haven't, <laughs> like, I haven't yeah. seen the line. Is, is, is Bader a, a favorite? Uh, Bader is the favorite right now. Uh, not by much. It's pretty even. I think Bader's at like minus 190 and Mo's at like plus 220 or something like that. So okay. it's pretty close. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a complete blowout. Um, getting back to what you mentioned earlier, I was just thinking about it a little bit more with Aaron Pico. He needs to, um, he's fighting a lot of guys with a lot of experience. And I know that that's important to Pico and that, that is a, a big part of his decision his uh, decision-making process to go take a fight is the experience of the person who's fighting. Yeah. Um, but I would like for, to see Bellator give him people that aren't just experienced, but are, uh, how would I put it? Like positively experienced, which means that they often come out on the, and I mean, like I went, there's a big difference between a guy, I guess, who's like 12 and eight and, you know, has been fighting for a long time and is just sort of a, you know, a regional gatekeeper and a guy that's like, you know, four and five and oh, like maybe like Logan Sorley or something like that, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. The difference, even though one has a lot more fights, there's still a big difference in the skill level. So I would like to see Aaron Pico get into more of the uh, the, the less fights, but maybe the more highly skilled skilled fighters uh, in some areas, you know. Uh, he fought Zach Freeman, who, and I'm like full disclosure, Zach Freeman's one of my guys, he's been a training partner of mine for a long time. And I cornered him in that fight because that's a boy, you know what I mean? But yeah. uh, despite what I said earlier about conflict of interest, I did that. <laughs> and I was there for that fight. But uh, I didn't need to do anything because it didn't last very long. But that's, I think, a bit of a difference is that Zach Freeman is known for that kind of fight. You know what I mean? And so now we've, we've got Pico in a situation where he's taking experienced guys, but not necessarily skilled guys. So what I would like to see him is get in there with somebody. Uh, you know, he, he he bounces between 45 and 55, I feel like. I, what's, what's he said now that he wants to kind of make his home at 55, Pico? Um, I would like to see him against somebody like Sadawad. You know, there somebody you that's oh, experienced yeah. but very skilled. You know what I mean? Like, he's dangerous. Like I, Yeah, Sadawad's game. Um, yeah, right? And Well, and... and just took out Freeman, and he's yeah. about to fight. Uh, who is it? He's about to fight uh, Rickles in London, or not? Not Rickles. No, like, uh, Couture. Couture. He's fighting Couture, and, uh, yes, down the street from in me. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, and that's a dangerous fight for Ryan Couture. That's a very dangerous fight for Ryan Couture. He's been a little bit more inactive lately. You know, fighting. You know, what's it been like once every six months tops? Mm. You know, he's coming off a win, but what was it? Two losses in a row before that. You know, to come in against somebody like Awad, that's that's a big deal. And that's like that's who I feel like Pico should be fighting right now. Like I, I prefer an Awad Pico matchup over an Awad Couture matchup right now. Yeah, I mean, uh even the guy that uh Awad just beat, um, I think he beat uh JJ Ambrose. And even yeah. that would even that would be a uh you know, not a bad fight for, for Pico. I I've been lucky. I I'm you know, I just by luck, I've I've had a chance to be at every one of Pico's fights in his career so far. So just by total fluke, and and obviously this week will be the fourth time. So you know I'm definitely cheering for him just for the the story, honestly, of being able to say, you oh, know, yeah. saw saw one of the all time greats from the start. Well. You know, I 
know, there, there are fighters, uh, there are fighters, like even popular fighters on the Bellator roster right now that are working hard to foster the type of, uh, in, like, support, I guess, that I feel like Pico gets naturally. You know what I mean? Like, if you meet Aaron Pico or you know anything about Aaron yeah. Pico, you just want him to do well. Like, he, like he's everyone's little brother. You know, he's, yeah. like, he's everyone's just like, gosh, you want him to do so well. Yeah. And where other fighters have to like work and cultivate and try to come off that way, he just is. He doesn't have to try because he is. Yeah, I think it's because and, of his youth, you know, because he's such for such a young man, he's very mature how he handles everything. Yep. And even if he didn't know your name, you could walk up to him and say, We met four years ago at a Shoney's and he would be like, Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And like he would never make you feel like he didn't remember who you were, even though he's like like Captain America, like <laughs> he's a little Captain America right yeah, now. Yeah, like yeah. he's, he's like all the good things. Like you know, that's, that's just what he reminds me of. So you just want him to do well, and and I'm happy for that. You know, he's he's got good camps around him, good management around him, and he's adjusted and changed positive ways. So like he is a future superstar of the sport, no doubt. One of the other main card fights is uh, Czech Congo versus Javi Ayala. Um, Ed actually interviewed uh, Javi uh, last Friday. Uh, yeah. Friday. Um, that's a, a alternate fight for the for the tournament, as far as I understand it. Um, I also heard Scott mention that I believe if Krokop were to beat Roy Nelson, he would become a, a, an alternate in the tournament, and I think he even mentioned the number one alternate. Do you know anything about that, or can you clear that up at all, or have you? I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I knew about Ayala and, and Congo being an alternate. I hadn't heard that about Krokop and Nelson. I mean, I know, though, that that Krokop got drug tested recently uh, by the commission. So where's that? Let's see. That's in London, right? That's, so that's London. By the Mohegan Sun Commission. So I know that he's been getting, like, regularly drug tested and everything. So if it were to happen that way, it'll be on the up and up, and they should be able to run right into it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they don't have to use any alternates. Hopefully the tournament... Yeah, that would be the, the, the best. I mean, because right now I love the way the tournament is shaking up. You know, Chael Fedor on one side one. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, that's a hardcore fan. That's a, that's a great... Yeah. Great fight. And from the start of the tournament, I picked Fedor versus Mitrion rematch. I just, I thought they had another collision course coming after, you know, obviously Mitrion finished him, but it was not, you know, it, it was one of those situations where Fedor is punching another quarter inch to one direction. And we, we might've been watching him get his hand raised that night. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was funny backstage at the last show in Chicago, it was funny to see Mitrion and Fedor and Matt Mitrion was like, this is Fedor. He's the greatest of all time. He's like telling his children, the guy, (laughs) this is the greatest of all time though. Like, yeah, yeah, I beat him, but he's better. You know, like it was, it was amazing. And then, and then Mitrion made his kids carry all the water out to the car. Like those kids are not getting off easy on (laughs) fire. That's funny. (laughs) They were howling everything. So, so uh, while we still got a couple minutes, I want to jump over to the other side to the to the UFC card and kind of get your opinion on some of the fights this weekend. Um, this Saturday night also is a UFC 224 pay per view um, from Brazil. Um, the main event is uh, Raquel Pennington challenging uh, Amanda Nunes for her uh, bantamweight title. Um, do you think uh, Raquel has any chance in that fight, or you see uh, Nunes pretty much uh, running that for a while? I, I wish I wish Pennington had a chance in that fight, but I just don't see Amanda going anywhere for a while. She's just, uh, 
she's dominant right now. I, I wish we had her or had something to do with her. You know what I mean? Like I I want I think everybody wants to be me and Mandy to miss this because she's just dope right now. Yeah, no, I I, I, watch her fight. I think yeah, most people are. What is the line on that? Do they have the lines out for that? I I don't I don't have it in front of me, but I imagine she's got to be at least a plus two fifty or a minus two fifty. I would think. Yeah, yeah. You know, because um, yeah, I I wouldn't I would the only thing that might encourage me to put money on Pennington right now is that woman that just won like a million dollars at the Kentucky Derby on that pick five. Like, <laughs> no, if there's that kind of luck out there, maybe I would put some money on Pennington, but. Not if I was using any kind of logic, right? Well, she's coming off an injury. She suffered a, mo- a broken leg in a motorcycle accident. Her last fight was at uh, UFC 205, um, where she beat Misha Tate. But I think that was kind of a uh, Misha Tate that had, had kind of moved on and realized that yes. you know she was looking forward to retirement that night. Um, what do you think, Ed? Are you, I you? I like I like Misha Tate more in retirement. Is that weird? But like. I actually like her more now and like the things that she's saying now and the things she's doing now. I just like, like her. I, I, I like her all the time. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree there either. <laughs> what uh, um, are you, are you on the uh, board with the uh, Nunes as well there, Ed? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I haven't, I, I checked out that card. I mean, obviously Mackenzie Dern's fighting there and stuff, but like, I've I've kind of been more focused on. The, I'm going to watch them both. I'll be watching uh, uh, more focused on Belter 199 just because I'm more interested in you know having interviewed Javi and and us talking about it now and just watching the Fedor uh, uh you know Fedor win from uh, last weekend or or, or the, whenever it was. I'm uh it's hard for me to 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 keep going back and forth. So I'll watch them both. But I I do have Nunes winning there. She's uh I mean that's in, it's in Brazil. Um. I don't know. She's pretty dominant right now. I feel like she's at the top of her game. I don't see her. I, 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 I don't see her losing uh, to Pennington on Saturday. You know, another fight that's on the card is, is you know, for the hardcore fans and, it, you know, is for the people that kind of mock Bellator for having old legends fighting, we get uh, Vitor Belfort versus Leota Machida. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bring that up when, when people are, you know, I'm a huge fan of both those guys. I, I, since UFC 12, I, I, I've been on the Vitor bandwagon from, you know, him knocking out John Hess in a, in a small super brawl event or whatever the heck it was there in Hawaii, uh, you know, back in the day when he was uh, Victor Gracie. But, um, you know, that's one of those fights too, that if it was happening in Bellator, we'd hear fans, you know, some of the fans complaining and, and saying it's, it shouldn't be happening. And, and this happening on the UFC pay-per-view, but, um, you know, I'll be pulling for Vitor. Like I said, I'm a fan of both, but I think Lyoto um, is just a little too technical, and uh, I think he'll be able to weather the storm and and probably uh, at least grind out a decision in that one. Uh, yeah. You know, you think a decision? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I think I, I think somebody's going out in that fight. I agree. I don't know. I just have a, a feeling. You know. Yeah. If, maybe if Machida comes out aggressive, I think there's a chance. I uh, I think. I can't recall if Vitor's last fight was against uh, Marquardt or not, but it was a decision. So, I mean, I don't know. He kind of played a little bit smarter version. You know, I don't know if it's because he's on the last fight of his contract or maybe he's kind of, uh, you know, going out on a win maybe is more important at this point so he can ha- have some negotiating power um, if he wants to try to fight in, in Bellator or, you know, if he decides that he wants to have another fight or two in the UFC. Obviously, even a decision win carries a lot more weight going into the to negotiations. Yeah, yeah. I don't. 
and that's just that's the bane of the the system as it is now you know like kind of like what we we're talking about before fighting for someone who's a money guy versus someone who's a fan you know if you go out in an exciting fight and still lose i think scott's gonna resign you versus if you go out on a boring win i mean look at some of the people we've cut yeah you, know, <laughs> you go out on some decision wins eh, yeah, you might test free agency you yeah know, <laughs> an exciting an exciting yeah. loss you know yeah. the important thing with any vitor fight is you know what is tommy toehold gonna do you know with it on his show <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing better to me than when tommy does his vitor so like every time he fights i'm like no we have to make sure we we check out tommy toehold this week so. yeah absolutely how do you see that going, Ed? Who's your pick for that night? I mean, uh, I feel like, uh, I mean, like I said, I agree with, with uh, Cutman that the uh, uh, finish is coming, and I, I'm leaning towards Lyoto only because, uh, I mean, uh, as a karate person, something uh, I, I feel like his striking is probably a little more refined, and um, he's probably got more accuracy versus uh, Vitor's. Uh, I mean, everybody knows Vitor. He'll either do those machine gun punches and uh, the spinning head kick that Tommy Toehold likes to mention all the time, or um, <laughs> or you know what I mean, like like it's it's more predictable, whereas Lyoto's not as predictable. So, I mean, if if the finish comes by TKO or KO, I'm leaning for it coming from in favor of uh, Lyoto Machida. And then um, you know, and then the probably the biggest fight of the night, the fight that has the most meaning other than the the title fight, is uh, Kevin Gastelum versus Jacare Souza. Um, essentially, a number one contender fight. Um, in theory, um, for for the middleweight division, um, what do you what's your take on that one, Matt? Uh, you think Jacare's going to keep rolling, or you think the the younger kid's going to make a name for himself? I think this is Gastelum's moment. I think I think yeah, I think Jacare is, is right at the end of, uh, of of anything that he could possibly do. This is his last shot. Uh, but I I think that. Going to go out on a shield, and Gaslam comes away with this one. I, I, you know, my heart wants to go with Jacare just for the old school in me, but I, I'm kind of leaning that that same way too. I, you exactly. know, I, that's what, that's what, you know your thought. You want Jacare by sub, you know, like that's what I'm like. That's yeah. what I want. But yeah. uh, I just don't think that that's uh, that's in the cards on this on this fight. No, and I, I was honestly surprised that that Jacare. I mean, now I mean he's doing well, but. You know, there was a lot of talk of him coming over to Bellator on his last contract uh, was up, and I was surprised he didn't do that, to be mm. honest. Uh, just because of where he was at in his career, I thought it would have been the best thing for him at that moment. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's worked out for him here. You know, here he is fighting Gaslam, but I just think that it's it's going to be too little too late for him, and Gaslam's going to come through it. Well, if he gets a win here, then it looks like a great decision to stay, because then he probably yeah. he, he fights probably the winner of Whitaker and, and Romero. Um, and if he loses, then you know who knows what what the UFC does. I don't know how many that, fights he actually it, signed. Unfortunately, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Uh, I I just uh, I mean I like I agree with you 100. percent I really want Jacare to win. It's an old school fan. It's a, it's a it's a name I've been rooting for a long time. But it just uh, it just doesn't feel right to me. It just feels like a bad fight at a bad time. You know, every once in a while a fighter takes a fight, you just gotta go, why? Why mm. did you do that? Like, do you? Like no, this is not this is not that time. Yeah. And, uh, I'm uh, curious to see how he looks in the cage next to Jacare because when he fought uh, Chris Weidman, I know Weidman's a large 85er, um, yeah. 
I mean, he looked he looked like he was you know, and, and he turned out to be be too small for Chris that night. Um, but uh, I, I'm curious to see how Shock how he Ray looks. Is, is tall, like Shocker is tall, but he's also not one that I worry too much about using his reach. You know, as far as that goes, but I don't think that he's outsizing or outmuscling uh, Gaston very much. No, I, th- I think we're pretty much all aboard there. You you there too, Ed? You seen uh, Gaston or yeah? Well, no, I, I mean, I think it depends on what happens. It's uh, that, that's uh, I mean, I, I Jacare kind of hinted at one of the um, one of the countdown show episodes. I forget which one. He was kind of like uh, almost admitting to passing the torch to the younger guys, and um, so I, I kind of agree with like it's he's he, he maybe he's thinking about he's had surgeries and stuff, so maybe he's thinking about a uh, calling it a uh, calling it a day too, but. You know, it's still, I mean, he's still a competitor. He's obviously going to compete. And I, the thing is, I feel like, like, I, I think Gaslam has the power and the output to, to hurt him and put him away or, or with a TKO or something. But if they get in a clinch or, in a, or, or somebody gets grabby, it's, it's favorite Jacare, obviously, because of his, um, yeah. his experience. 100%. So, yeah, so it's hard for me to pick. So, I mean, yeah, it's a game plan. It's a game plan. Who has the better game plan coming? Yeah. I think it's going to be a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like we could talk for hours about about the fights. I really enjoyed this conversation, yeah, and um, me too. You know, I really appreciate you coming on here, especially uh, the week of an event and coming off the uh, the epicness of working Fedor's corner. Um, <laughs> it doesn't get much you having me on. You know, I, I like to do stuff like this, and I like to. I, I mean, I know my wife loves it too because I go talk to somebody else about this stuff for a while and leave her alone. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any? Uh, do you have any sponsors that you want to plug or anything? I know uh, they're a big part of your 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 yeah, corner work. No, that's another, that's another positive working for Bellator. Uh, Affliction has been sponsoring me for years now, and uh, so I'm always appreciative of them. Uh, Turf House uh, and uh, the Mod Cabin, which sponsors this beautiful beard that you see here. People always go, "You should get a sponsor for your beard," and I always go, "Actually, I do. It's the Mod Cabin, modcabin.com. You can check it out. <laughs> lots of good stuff." And then uh, War Tape. Uh, that I wrap hands with, uh, it's like literally, it's kind of a sign with Cutman if you're using like the normal, just like kind of white tape that you get off of uh, like titlemma.com or whatever, title boxing. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So you don't wrap enough for your fingers to bleed because that's the big difference between like a, like war tape and regular tape is that when I've wrapped my 40th person that night, my fingers aren't bleeding from war tape. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a huge difference. So yeah, Affliction, Chirp House, Mod Cabin, and War Tape all take very good care of me. And and honestly, I couldn't do what I do without them doing what they do for me. So always very appreciative. Awesome. And uh, people can uh, follow you on Twitter at Cutman Matt. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. I'm on all of it. I've made it pretty pretty standard across social media. Everything is at Cutman Matt. But uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Heck, I think I might even have a Periscope. I never look at. Uh, the <laughs> well, it's, it's connected to your Twitter, so. Yeah, right. So I, I've been playing around with uh, making my Instagram a corporate account because Mercedes Terrell, our ring girl, said that she got in trouble for posting sponsor stuff but not saying uh, sponsor stuff. Uh, but then I realized that that was a problem that somebody that has hundreds of thousands of followers has versus somebody like me that has like twos of thousands of followers. <laughs> so, it doesn't really play out for me the way it does for her. yeah well um and as usual everybody can follow us at at combat hour on twitter 
myself at MMA Hawk 21 on Twitter and Instagram and Ed at Carbazel on uh, Twitter. Um, great show, Matt. Thank you for joining us. And I, uh, I look forward to running into you at the weigh-ins this Friday night. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Appreciate you coming on. Peace, y'all.